Well, good morning. Little by little, some of you are catching on to the humor, but little by little. So here's what I want you to know, guys. Ask yourself this question. Is wisdom something within your control or is wisdom something out of your control? I am so glad I asked this question because it doesn't seem people are sure. Wisdom is 100% in your control. In other words, any person who has the word of God can be as wise as they will allow the scriptures to teach them. And the beauty of that, guys, listen, is wisdom always blesses. Wisdom blesses the person who has it, and wisdom blesses the people around the person who has it. So uh, that is why for our 24-hour men's retreat, we are giving ourselves to say, hey, we can't get wise in 24 hours. I wish it was that simple. But we can point ourselves in the direction of the scriptures and Proverbs that will make us wise. So I'm going to invite every man, high school and up. Join us 24 hours and allow the scriptures to begin that work of making you wise. It'll bless you and it'll bless everyone around you. So you can sign up out in the courtyard online, easy to sign up online. But if that kind of freaks you out and it's like, oh, I can't do that, then guys out, tables out in the courtyard who will walk you through that. All right. Would you take your Bibles now with me and turn to Genesis chapter 3. And as we go into Genesis 3, we are going into a new section in the book of Genesis, the problem of evil. So before we jump into 3, quick review, I want to ask you this question, all right, ready? If you were to take one word to use to summarize all of Genesis 1 and 2, in one word, what would you pick? God. It's a good start. That's, and then, that's it. God. What else? Glorious. Because we talked about that creation declares that he is glorious. What else would cap, capture one and two? What's that? Yeah, active. That God is active and continuing to be active. Thanks for stealing that from the guy behind you. I saw that now. That's right. I know how you work. God is active. God is glorious. Ultimately, if we just read it first, we go, well, it's about creation. But we wanted to lift it beyond creation to say it's the creator. Because we never want to worship the creation. We want to worship the one who is greater in creation, the one who made it all, because something cannot come from nothing. So if creation is glorious, he is glorious. So we may say it was God, it was creation, it was creator, it was glorious, or good, because that's God's word for it, and it was good. What I want us to see is, as we go into chapter three now, it's a huge shift from God glorious and good. A totally new aspect enters creation. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed as God said, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but... 
from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it or touch it or you will, say it, you will die. Now watch, this is what's brand new. The serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. In fact, God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So what hits the scene that's not been there thus far? Opposition. God said this, and now we have a new voice that goes, no, that's not true. We get resistance. We get an adversary to God. We get an enemy. And this, remember, you may go, oh, I already know all this. No. Remember, Genesis 1 and 2 was our introduction to God. This morning as we jump into Genesis 3, this is our introduction to the one who opposes God. We simply want to ask this morning, is he real? Who is he? What's his goal? What are his tactics? And do we have any hope with this problem of evil? So who is this adversary, this enemy, this one who brings resistance to God? Who is the opposer? Well, it's identified in Genesis 3 that the opposer comes and appears in the form of a serpent that is crafty. That's an important observation. It's in the form of a servant, serpent, but the serpent is defined as more crafty. And his craftiness is expressed in a question that insinuates God is lying. You're not going to die. He says you're going to die, but you're not going to die. But who is this serpent? Well, the beauty of scriptures is it will often interpret itself. In other words, it, if you will give yourself to it, it will explain itself. And so in Genesis 3.1, we're introduced to this opposer, but we find out who exactly it is when the serpent shows up in the last book of the Bible, Revelation 12, where it says, and the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old, a clear reference to Genesis chapter 3, who is called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. And what happened to him? He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So even though Genesis 1, Genesis 3 doesn't tell us this is the devil, this is Satan, is it him? Is it him? Yes, this is absolute. We are being introduced to the opposer who is the devil, who is Satan. Jesus describes him this way. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. Why? Because he is a liar and even more than a liar, he is the father of lies. Paul describes him this way. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. So this serpent who is the devil, who is Satan, who is the father of lies, is the prince of the power of the air. 
of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And John describes them this. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So in this introduction of the opposer, he is the one when we come across in scripture who is called the devil, Satan, the father of lies, the prince of the power of the air, the evil one, the tempter, we'll see in a moment. I'm sharing all these scriptures with you so you will understand these are not separate individuals. This is our introduction to the fact that a glorious God who only did good now has an opposer, an opposition to him, an enemy, an adversary. And his goal is very specific. Jesus says the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I love John 10.10 because it really captures the fact that there is God who created life and wants to bring life and give life. Can I have your eyes? There is a God who wants to give you life. There's a God who has created life. And not just life, but abundant life. But there is an opposer to God who doesn't want you to have life, to find life, or to experience life. What does he want to do? He wants to destroy you. Now that might seem like, wow, that's a little over the top, a little extra dramatic there. Is that extra dramatic? No. I have a very simple goal this morning that you would walk out the doors as you walk to your car you would say there is a very real opposer to God who wants to destroy me and if you're married newly married he wants to destroy your new marriage and if you have kids he wants to destroy your kids and if a church teaches the word of God He wants to destroy the church. He's against God. And if you walk with God, he is against you. Is he real? Yeah. He is real. And we must recognize that he's real. And that his intent is very clear. He's going to steal and kill and destroy. So that's his goal. Is he any good at it? (laughs) Sounds like a crazy thing to ask in church. But is the devil, Satan, the adversary, the tempter, is he good at what he does? He is, I mean, look around and look at the condition of our world. Look at Look at what has happened to what God has created. Look at marriage as God has created. Look at family as God has created. Look at manhood and womanhood as God had created. Look at its present condition and tell me, man, is he not good at what he does? He's real 
and he's seeking to destroy. And some of you are going, yeah, I saw it in my home. I've seen it in my marriage. I saw it in my parents. I've seen it in my own life. He's a destroyer. And he's so good at what he does because his tactics are incredibly sharp. He knows exactly what he needs to do wherever you are in your life and wherever you are in your life and your life in your life. Wherever, he knows exactly what he needs to accomplish in each individual life. His tactics are first this. The God of this world, speaking, the prince of the power of the air, the evil one, Satan, the devil, the serpent of old, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. So his first tactic, blind the eyes of who? Who did it say? The unbelieving. We'll come back and unpack this in a moment. But his first tactic those who have not believed in the gospel, that Jesus paid the penalty for sin so that whoever would believe in him would be born again, become a child of God. He wants to blind people to that truth. Second, when Paul writes the church there in Thessalonica after being there declaring the gospel and people being born again he hasn't been there or heard and so he says for this reason when I could endure it no longer I also sent to find out about your faith in other words they had faith were they continuing in faith how were they doing now as children of God he says for fear that the tempter who's the tempter Satan, the devil, the evil one, the father of lies, that the tempter, might, <coughs> excuse me, might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So he wants to blind the eyes of the unbelieving, but then tempt the believing. And as we'll unpack in future weeks, his temptation to the believing is to doubt and to disobey. But there's a third tactic. When the Apostle John writes, he says, my little children to believers, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Uh, don't misunderstand. Don't miss the simplicity. The scriptures are given to you so that you wouldn't go your own way, that you would live as God intended you to live. He's going, I write so that you won't sin. But then what does he acknowledge? <laughs> and if anyone sins, how many of you have read the scriptures, understood the scriptures, and then went and did your own thing? Okay, the rest of the verse is for you if you just raised your hand. And the rest of you who didn't, it's for you. <laughs> and if anyone sins, we have an advocate. You know what an advocate is? Someone who stands up for you. We have an advocate. Stands up for you where? With the Father. See, this is believers. He stands up for you with the Father. Jesus Christ, 
the righteous. Do you know why as a believer who has sinned, you need an advocate, you need someone who will stand up for you? Do you know why? You need an advocate when you sin because, maybe you didn't realize this, as a believer, when you sin, you have an accuser. And his accusation is toward believers who have sinned. So his tactics are very clear. To blind, to tempt, to accuse in order that he might destroy. Is he good at it? Yeah. Uh, let me break it down. This is very intentional in what our opposer does. Three things, and I'm going to divide this South Auditorium as it's divided into three sections. I'm going to divide you. This isn't necessarily where you are in your spiritual journey, but it's where you chose to sit this morning. All right, so over here, my right, your left. You are the unbelieving. What's his goal? To keep you there. To not let you see the way out. Is he good at it? Okay, let me give you an example. By, by way of question, show of hands. If you heard the gospel more than once before then you believed, raise your hand. In other words, you didn't receive the gospel the first time you heard it. If you heard it more than once before you believed, let me see your hand. Okay, why so many hands? Because he was blinding you even though you heard it, even though it was declared to you, you didn't see it. You didn't receive it. You didn't buy it. It's what he does to keep you in your sin. It's what he does so that, and I'm pointing to them, but it might be any of you, you understand? It's what he does to keep you trapped in darkness, to steal, to kill, to destroy the salvation that's being offered to you. He blinds. And not to give away next week when Ryan will teach on spiritual warfare, but it's because he blinds, it's why we'll see in this passage why we pray. Because as the enemy blinds, we're asking God to open eyes. It's why for Alpha, leading up to Alpha, we're saying, well, you pick three people that you'll pray for and then invite. And just to encourage you, in case you go, yeah, I know, I know, I know. But listen, Thursday night, awesome opportunity to have a baptism of three folks, two of them, next door neighbors to an individual who attends the chapel, heard about Alpha and invited them. And they said yes, and they loved it. And they heard the gospel and they believed and then became children of God and they got baptized here on Thursday night. So if you think, ah, Oh, he's harassing us about inviting somebody. It just doesn't make a difference. It does. It's almost like we should sing a song that God is always working. We did if you missed it. <laughs> he's always working. We don't always see it. We don't always feel it. 
but he's always working. So, friends, his tactic is clear. Blind those who have not yet trusted in Christ. If you're here this morning, you're kind of interested, but you haven't believed, he'll let you attend church as long as you want. He'll let you read your Bible as much as you want. He'll let you go to a small group. No problem, as long as you stay blind to the glorious light of the gospel in the face of Christ. So, he blinds. But watch, the aisle between these two sections in a spiritual journey that is called saving faith. When a person hears and God opens their eyes and they believe and they are born again and they trust in Christ, not themselves or some religious activity. They trust in what Jesus has done on the cross for them. And they ask him, would you be my savior? Would you be my leader? Would you forgive me of my sin? When we trust in him that way, here's what happens. The Bible says we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness, from those who are blind, to the kingdom of light. Right here, those who sat in the center, you chose well today. You are those in the kingdom of light. But understand, do you have a real enemy? Center section, do you have a real enemy? Yes. What is his goal? To destroy you. How will he seek to destroy you? To tempt you. Why doesn't he just take you back? Because the great news of the gospel is he can't. Jesus said, once you are in the Father's hand, no one can pluck you out. So listen, it's very clear. When you're dead in your sin, he wants to keep you blind. But once you're in the kingdom of light, he can't get you back. So what's the new goal? To destroy you, how? By tempting you to just waste the life that God has redeemed to use you to be instruments of God for more people finding more life in Jesus. He's gonna tempt you so that you never fulfill God's purpose in your life. He's gonna go, don't build, your, don't build the kingdom of God, build your kingdom. Achieve in your life. Make a name for yourself. It's all about you. You just got to get to heaven. He'll tempt you to doubt that God loves you, that God knows the best. He'll tempt you to doubt that God is always working for good. He'll tempt you to Give your life to this world. Why? To destroy you from being an instrument in and through which God would do his work. Is he good at what he does? He is, isn't he? He's good at tempting us. We find ourselves how often going, ah, what was I thinking? This last hour we had just a beautiful testimony of acknowledgement that 
that I, I trusted Christ early. And then I spent so many years as a believer living for myself and wasting my life. See, that may be what's happening with you. Except this. When he tempts you, you don't have to sin. Do you? No. We'll see in a moment. You don't have to sin. What did, what did John write? I'm writing these things, things, these things to you so you don't sin. But if you do, you have an advocate. Why? Because when center section, when you sin, again, they represent when children of God sin, they get bumped over to this section. You know who you are? You're the sinning believers. And you know what Satan's role in your life is? Loser, fake, hypocrite, worthless. Don't be talking about Jesus. Your life's a wreck. Now, I'm not talking about you as I was pointing at you, but he does. He's a damned liar. And that's not cussing for children in the room. That's biblical truth. He is a damned liar. And he will lie about like this. Don't bring that confession in here. You've confessed like that 20 times, 40 times. God doesn't want to hear that junk. You change your life and then you come talk to God. Has he ever told you that? He's told me that. See, I, I, I have experienced, and, and everybody in here who's a child of God and can be honest in this moment would say, I know what it's like to have him tempt you and entice you, and it sounds so good, and then you cross over and do what he enticed you, and as soon as you sin, he's like, guilty! Liar! Hypocrite! He can change his hat in a hurry for some, one simple reason. He can't get you back. And so his only way to destroy you is to distract you or to shame you. He's real. Yes? Yeah. For some of you are going, yeah, he's more real than I thought now. I've heard those exact same things in my head. He's real. He's good at what he does. And it's not about where you sit in the room. It's where you are in your faith. If you haven't trusted in Jesus, he's going to blind you. He's going to say, don't trust in him. He's going to rob you of life. Live your own life. It's your only life. Live it the way you want it. And if you embrace him, he might just fill your life, allow your life, become distracted by all the good stuff. And then when you get distracted or you go your own way and you have your own secret sins, he'll trap you in your shame. He's a damned liar who's really good at what he does. But 
he is limited. Yes? Yeah. This, this is like great news. In fact, a guy came up to me after first down and he was like, man, you needed to start with he's limited at the beginning because you were killing me. And you know why I didn't start with he's limited? Because if I start with he's limited, you're going, yeah, he's limited. Yeah, I just do my life. He's just, right. it's the devil. He's like, people look like the devil under every rock. It's no big deal. No, he is real. And he's destroying. And he wants to destroy you. And no better way to destroy you than to make him irrelevant in your life. So that you're not aware of his tactics. So, but let me say, it really is true. He's limited. He can't do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, to whomever he wants. If you're not sure about that, you should read Job 1 this afternoon. It'll make you go, thank you, God. He's on a leash. He's a, he's a guy like, God has a dog named the devil. Not really. But it's like the dog wants to run off and he's like, oh, oh, can't get there. Because he can't. You know why he can't? Because he's a created being. This can get confusing, so stick with me here. When I say the devil is a created being, I am not saying God created the devil. He created an angelic spiritual being that like everything God created was good and displayed his glory. But like humanity was made for him and to glorify him, but turned against him, what happened physically to humanity happened spiritually in the heavens. But it's not super, super easy to see. It, it doesn't say in Genesis 3. It'd be easier if it did. It doesn't say in Genesis 3. And there was an angelic being who rebelled against God and God tossed him out. It's more clear what happened to humanity. But from two passages, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, two Old Testament prophecies that have a specific expression in a particular king, first king of Tyre and Ezekiel, then king of Babylon in Isaiah 14, they have a more full, complete expression of what happened in heaven. For by him... The scripture says, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. So nothing exists that God did not create. So he created an angelic being. Who Ezekiel speaks to. You were the anointed cherub who covers. Not just any angel. High ranking is what you and I might think about. And I placed you there, right? Because God is sovereign. I placed you there. And you were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence and you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you 
cast you as profane from the mountain of God, and I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom by reason of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. So we get from Ezekiel this origin of a created being for the glory of God who rebelled against God and is cast out of heaven. Isaiah 14 speaks very similar language. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the earth. You have you who have weakened the nations. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God and I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Just pause for a moment. If you read in Genesis 3, it sounds like exactly like what the serpent says. To Adam and Eve. The Lord says, nevertheless, you'll be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. So he is a created being. God didn't create the devil. He didn't create Satan. He created an angelic being. And there are many who are still glorifying God and worshiping God, but there are those led by this one who rebelled against God as Adam and Eve rebelled against God and was therefore cast down. And he becomes the deceiver of this world as he sought to be the deceiver in heaven. But because he is a created being, he is limited because he's limited, you can resist him. See, as good as he is, as strategic as he is in his tactics, you can resist him. The bad news is, we're going to talk about the next two weeks. You have to come back to hear about how do we resist him. But I want you to know this morning. The one who seeks to destroy you and is in the process of doing all he can to destroy you and your marriage and your family and your life, he can be resisted. I use the word resist because Peter says your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. But resist him. Firm in your faith, there's a hint. Firm in your faith of how we resist him. And James declares if we resist him, what will he do? You can make the lion run. That's pretty awesome. You can make him flee. So as real as he is, as effective as he is, As strategic as he is, he is limited. You can resist him because greater is he who is in you. Who's that? That is 
The Spirit of God, God himself who is within the believer, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Who's that? The devil. So there is a very real opposer. He's as real as God, but he is not God. God is what? God is greater. And I don't want us to miss this this morning, that God is greater. As much destruction as the destroyer is bringing on this planet now, Never lose sight of the fact God is greater. And there will be a day when he is handcuffed and locked up and then released briefly and then thrown forever under the authority of God to the lake of fire. The destroyer will not prevail because God is greater in every way. God is greater than the one who blinds you. For God who said, let, who got, for God who said, light shall shine out of darkness. What's that a reference to? Genesis 1, in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. That God who said, let there be light and there was light is the one who is shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. See, how good is that? That if you have trusted in Jesus, it's because though you had a very real adversary who wanted to blind you, God's shown in your heart. God is greater. Never think, well, I was, you know, it, was, I, it was just smarter. I figured it out. No. You were blind. God shone in your heart so that you could see. See, if you had any part of it that you could claim it and you could take some of the glory and you didn't have any part of it, God graciously to all have believed, God shone in our heart. As miraculously as he did in creation when he said, let there be light, he said into your heart, let there be light. And there was light. He said into this heart, let there be light. And there was light. So we pray. If you have a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, a child, a spouse who doesn't believe, Would you pray this? God, shine into their heart. You who spoke light into creation, would you speak light into their heart? Overcome the devil who is seeking to blind them. And you can pray that with confidence and faith because what? God is greater. And believe it. Believe that he's real. Believe that he's good at what he does, but believe that he's limited, that God is greater. To you, center section, is God greater to you? No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to do what? Endure it. He is saying, 
He's tricky. He's crafty. He lies really, really well. But you don't have to yield. He is, what would we say, like way maker. What's the next line? Miracle worker, eye opener, promise keeper. Yeah, we're, what else though? Like, like escape giver. You need to write another verse, dude. Like eye opener, escape giver. Doesn't he? Okay. Without getting ahead of myself here. Tell me you have not been in a situation where you were tempted and then it was clear as the day that God was giving you a way out, but you didn't take it. Yes? Yeah, I know that. And I'm like, oh, this is God's way out. I don't want a way out. I want... I'm going to buy the lie. But you don't have to. Because God is greater. See, greater than your shame. This, wherever you're in the room, to this, if you confess your sins. And this is not like, well, you checked it three times. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you. Cleanse you from all unrighteousness. The damn liar will say, don't confess because then you'll be ashamed. And in not confessing, you are trapped in your shame. That's a horrible place to be trapped. But he wants to destroy you and rob you of the joy of your salvation. But if you'll confess... The advocate is greater than the accuser. How good is that? So he's real. (laughs) And he knows what he's doing with every single one of us. But he does not have to prevail. God is greater. So we're going to finish with a God's greater story. Alex is going to come on up and she's going to share her story of how she was blind and God opened her eyes. And then she's going to be baptized. Alex, I know you know this, but to explain to everybody here that when you get in here and you're baptized, that is not when you're saved. We're not saved when we're baptized. See, sometimes we think because of how we grew up that, oh, it's our baptism saves us. No, no. It's Jesus who took the penalty for our sin that saves us. This baptism is simply an outward, it's like a little play that we're going to watch here. And it's going to reveal what happened inside Alex when she trusted in Jesus. That by trusting in Jesus, she is identified with Christ in his death and his burial. That's why we place you under the water. And then to his resurrection so that Alex once dead in her sin, now born again, can walk in newness of life. So this is a God is greater story. We're looking forward to hearing from it. My name is Alexandra Melvin, and I'm 21 years old. 
My parents divorced when I was only seven, so the majority of my life was spent in a single-parent household. Every Sunday, out of moral obligation, my mom would bring my sister and me to church. We were always taught to believe in God and to strive to be good people, but that's about as far as it went. Growing up, I knew I never knew God personally. I was physically alive but spiritually dead. Then one Sunday service, a new youth program was announced at my church. I was in seventh grade at the time, and I figured it wouldn't hurt to try something new. So I went. After that very first middle school sermon, I experienced a spiritual hunger within me that I never knew I had. I wanted to know Jesus personally. The next few months were intense. I learned so much about who God was and is. I learned that he is a loving, merciful, merciful God and sent his son, Christ Jesus, into a dark and broken world to be nailed to the cross for my sins. After attending youth service for a number of weeks, I came to realize that my sins separated me from God and Jesus' death on the cross allowed me to stand righteous before God. I would be lying if I said that I was perfect or that life has been perfect from that point on. There have been and will continue to be trials and tribulations, but the difference now is that I have hope and a purpose through Christ. I have a God that I simply can't outrun, a God that leaves the 99 to come find me. I want to get baptized to demonstrate the death of my own self and the birth of a child of God that is sealed with the Holy Spirit. Baptism is something that I've considered for a long time now, but I always let my anxiety and stage fright get the best of me. Right now, however, is the moment that I overcome all my fears and stand up in front of an entire congregation to declare my faith in Jesus. Acts 22:16 says, Now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Alex, we are all proud of you. Grateful now for your profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord. Because of that, it's an absolute privilege to baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried with him in baptism, and she is raised to walk in new life. Always <laughs> stand together and let's declare this. Now I have a resurrection power, living on the inside, Jesus. You have given us freedom, no longer bound by sin and darkness. Living in the light of your goodness, you have given us freedom. Now I have a resurrection power, living on the inside, Jesus. You have given us freedom. No longer bound, no longer bound by sin and darkness. Living in the light of your goodness. You have given us freedom. <clears throat> he's real, and he's smart, and he's affected.
but he's limited. God is greater. And Alex's story was a reflection of all of a sudden I had a hunger that I didn't know I have. What was that? That was God. And how many of you have not obeyed the Lord because of fear? And you watched her, in spite of her fear, obey the Lord. Her situation, baptism. But whatever it is that fear is robbing you of what God has for you, God is greater. It might be fear of confession. God is greater. So I want to invite really each of you to bow with me. If you've never trusted in Jesus, would you invite the light of life to shine in your heart? Do you believe in him and be born again as as he speaks to you in this moment like you've never heard him before? And if he has shown in your heart and and you have somebody who's close to you, a neighbor, a coworker, a family member who's still in darkness, pray right now, would you? Pray that God would shine in their heart. And if you're born again, but temptation has been winning, I want to invite you to confess right now. Confess before a gracious God who never grows weary of of hearing your confession. A broken and a contrite heart he will not despise. Would you ask your advocate, the Lord Jesus, to cleanse you and to restore to you the joy of your salvation. And if fear is in some way causing you, any of you, to shrink back from doing what you know the Lord wants you to do, would you believe him to be your strength right now? Go and to do in the power of the Spirit to the praise of His glory. Lord, thank you for your great greatness revealed to us this morning. Would we engage in this week with a faith that believes in you, that the destroyer would run that the victory that we have in Christ would be to the praise of your great glory. We present ourselves to you and to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If we can pray with you in any way, there are men and women available always every week for prayer out my left. You're right around the corner, straight out the back of north. We'd love to pray with you. God bless.